Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. G'day, my name is Craig Sisterson and this is Kiwi Craig's World of Crime, a spin-off podcast from the brilliant Words and Nerds, usually hosted by the talented Danny V. Each episode of Kiwi Craig's World of Crime, we're going to be talking to some fantastic authors spanning the globe, each of whom is a marvellous storyteller who brings their skill to the page for us to enjoy. And let's be honest, a lot of us readers out there, we love a little bit of murder, mystery and mayhem in our storytelling. Now, boy, do I have a cracking episode for you today. We are going to be talking about psychological thrillers domestic noir however you want to term it with three of the most fantastic authors who've been giving us great stories in recent years all the way from ireland we have the queen of irish noir as i think i like to call her the the wicked witch of psychological thrillers the marvelous liz nugent a four-time winner of an irish books of the year award And then from New Jersey, we have the marvellous Kelly Garrett, an award-winning author of the Detective by Day series, whose latest book, Like a Sister, has been appearing on lots of best of lists in the United States and will be getting in our hands here in Australia and New Zealand early in 2023. And from closer to home, we have the fantastic Nikki Crutchley from New Zealand, who's a two-time Naya Marsh Award finalist, has appeared on several Best of the Year lists for some of her books over the years as well. And her latest book, In Her Blood, has just been released in Australia and New Zealand. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> cool. Well, th- thank you so much for being here with us today. And as I say, we're going to chat about psychological thrillers, which is something you all write. I guess just to give the the kind of our listeners out there a bit of an insight, do you maybe want to give us a little bit of a taste of your kind of newest novel and um, whether it's your kind of your latest one that's out or the next one coming out, a little bit of a taste of that. And and what was the acorn for you to create this story? Not quite where do you get your ideas from, but when did you know that you had a cool enough idea to dedicate yourself to writing a novel? Because it's a lot of time and effort that goes into writing. So what was the kind of acorn, whether it was a plot or a character or a setting or a premise of your newest psychological thriller for us. Kelly, do you want to kick off with what kicked off Like a Sister for you? Yes, because I suck at explaining the book's plot, but I'm good at explaining how I got the idea. So I will start off with that. Um, There is a newspaper um, in New York City here in the States, uh, the Daily News, and uh, they have very like kind of like clickbaity headlines even before clickbait was something. And so I saw a headline that said, um, Pregnant reality star found dead in Bronx with cocaine and no pants on. And I thought it was such a like grabbing headline. And I was just kind of like, one, it was very disrespectful. It was about a black woman um, reality star. Um, but two, it just 
I was kind of like, how did this, you know, the author of me was like, oh, that's a horrible headline, but a really cool book idea. Like, how did this glamorous <laughs> reality star go from partying it up in downtown Manhattan, it was her birthday, to dying alone on a street corner in the Bronx? Um, and I couldn't figure out, because at the time I had just finished a lightweight series, and I couldn't figure out how, like, what the book would be about, like a PI novel, what would I do? And I was walking down the street one day and I said, oh, she was up there because she was going to visit her sister and she never made it. And so that's what Like a Sister is about. It's told from the POV of her estranged sister. And she just knows that her little sister, they haven't spoken for two years because um, she had a drug problem, um, was coming to see her at five in the morning and she never made it and she wants to know why. So that's the story. Uh, and it's a fantastic book. I was lucky enough to read it earlier this year, the uh, the kind of the American edition and Kelly and I spoke to some American publications. It, it's a really fantastic read. I've just seen it in recent weeks popping up on several best of the year lists in the United States. Congratulations, Kelly. Thank but you. yeah, Thank it's you. just been released in the UK. So go grab your hands on it. And for those of us in Australia and New Zealand, it'll be out very soon in the new year. And Liz, uh, do you, I mean, you your fifth novel is coming out in early 2023 across the world, Strange Sally Diamond. And I'm already seeing so much amazing buzz from authors and early readers. And perhaps you want to tell us about that. Uh, we can't get our hands on it. We're going to have to pre-order it. But yeah, but Americans are going to have to wait until August. But I know there's a special edition for Australia and New Zealand because part of it is set in New Zealand. But um the idea for it, I really came from, like, Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, was one of, you know, it's a seminal novel that, like, everybody read in school and everybody knows it backwards. And, you know, I, it's a story. Uh, first of all, I was really jealous of Harper Lee because I wanted to write one book and then go into hiding. That would have been my <laughs> dream. But unfortunately, um, I had to, you know, the, the first book I wrote didn't quite go into uh, the mega stratosphere so I had to write another one then another one then another one and now anyway I got to book five and I was still thinking about To Kill a Mockingbird it's always in my mind and particularly the character of Boo Radley who is this kind of mysterious guy who's who has a connection with these kids He's, he leaves little presents in the tree stump for them and you know but he's very strange and he's odd and he's you know they they kind of knock on his door and run away and they dare each other to go up to his house so I thought I would write a modern day Boo Radley type character female in um, a small Irish village so that was my inspiration for Strange Sally Diamond. Oh, and, and so many of us are so looking forward to reading this. I, I actually have an e-copy waiting for me after this to, to read, which I'm very much looking forward to. But yeah, keep an eye out on Strange Sally Diamond um, for 2023. It's already getting big buzz as one of the books of the year. Now, Nikki, your fifth novel has just come out in Australia and New Zealand, In Her Blood. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what led to that? Um I'll tell you a little bit about it. So um, In Her Blood is a story of two sets of sisters set um, in two different timelines. So in the present timeline, we have Jack, who's returning to her hometown because her sister Charlie's missing. And in the past timeline, we have Lisa telling the story, and it's the year leading up to her sister Paige's disappearance. And it's all set at a 100-year-old hotel in a very small central North Island uh, settlement. 
And it's really, it's a story about love and loss and grief and obsession um, and kind of that idea of um, are you who your parents were or your grandparents were? That's where the title comes from, In Her Blood. Um, with the idea, that little acorn, I guess there were a few little things um, that started it. I had the characters first, probably, the two sisters, Jack and Charlie, and I've been listening to a podcast called Australian True Crime, and the, the episode I was listening to was on obsession and stalking, and I was interested in the obsession side of it, I guess, just the, and not even that romantic male-female side when normally a male has a over-interest in a woman, but um, the female-female side of it. And they were kind of loose ideas, and it wasn't until I um, kind of settled on the setting that it all came together. And that's, um, the setting is this 100-year-old hotel, and I've called it the Gilmore Hotel, but it's actually based on the Waitomo Hotel, which is um, an old hotel uh, in central North Island. Um, some people might know the famous glowworm caves that, that tourists often, often visit uh, when they come to New Zealand. Um, so that was the inspiration. And I think once I had that setting of the old hotel, uh, that kind of anchored all my ideas into place. Yeah, it is that kind of creepy setting for Australians and New Zealanders and stuff that the old kind of country old wooden hotels out in the middle of yeah. nowhere where people used to traverse kind of like an, an inn and stuff that you would have in, in the States and that I was thinking while we were talking though we talk about old hotels in Australia and New Zealand or maybe the States are being 100 150 years old yeah, that's exactly. old for us and Liz will be rolling her eyes going here going 100 <laughs> years that's a new build in Ireland you know <laughs> kind of thing it's stuff going back centuries it's, it's interesting how it's different in different countries you know, kind of the creepiness or, or what makes something creepy or yeah. old and things like that I was curious for all three of you and it's a little bit different for each of you but I was curious for all three of you what drew you to this kind of whether we want to call it a subgenre of the greater kind of large tent of crime writing because there are so many different ways you can explore crime and mystery and and books now but Kelly and Nikki, for you two in particular, you were writing other types of crime fiction first. And Nikki, it was kind of, you know, your rural small town noir. And Kelly, you had these kind of um, private eye, kind of humorous private eye urban mysteries with your Detective by Day series, which won some awards and are really fun. And so for the two of you, what made you want to switch to psychological thrillers? And, and for you, Liz, what made you delve into this straight away with Unraveling Oliver? Where, you know, what was it that brought you to this kind of, domestic or everyday person kind of thrillers as opposed to police tales so to speak so Kelly for you what made the switch with Like a Sister? Um, I at the time I had been reading a lot of domestic suspense um, and it's not a very diverse genre um, and so I was curious of how to if it was a black woman in America I'm going to say in America because I'm American um, how would be it would be different you know um but it's still, even though it's about a black woman, it still has a lot of what I consider the tropes I like so much, you know, like the family drama, um, twist and, you know, characters that you can't trust. And so that's just what it was. It just was, I like to, I like to write what I read. And so I like to read cozy, lightweight cozies. Like I don't, I can't read really dark stuff because my imagination would, like I could not sleep. Um, but I like to read lighter stuff. I like to read, you know, more character driven stuff. Um, I do like to read more women. And so if you like those things, it's cozies and, and to me, domestic suspense. So that's that's what it was. Just that I just like to read. 
I'm a big mystery fan first and foremost. Yeah. And, and Nikki, for you, because you wrote a couple of books about Miller Hatcher, a journalist kind of investigating small town crimes in New Zealand. But what was it that made you want to switch to psychological thr- thrillers? First with To the Sea and now within Her Blood. Yeah, I um, when I first started writing, I've, I've always read crime novels and police procedurals ever since I was a teenager. I love Patricia Cornwall and Ian Rankin and people like that. Um, and I kind of felt that I'd read so many crime novels that deciding to write a novel in itself is a big deal. And I kind of thought I almost knew the recipe of a crime novel and how to write it. Um, someone gets murdered and then you solve the crime. <laughs> Easy. Um, but writing psychological thrillers was something I'd always wanted to do. But for me, when I first started writing, um, it seemed almost too hard. Like I wasn't quite sure where to go with it. Um, so I think when I wrote my fourth book, I probably had the confidence to give it a go. And I like, um, I kind of like the idea of putting normal or ordinary people uh, into extraordinary circumstances so kind of stepping away from uh, serial killers and and things like that which you often get in crime novels and and taking a look at um, ordinary kind of people and I always even when I was writing my crime novels I quite liked I mean I love whodunits and all my books are whodunits I love mysteries uh, but I also like that why done it and kind of exploring more why that person has chosen to do what they did when it comes to a violent crime. Um, yeah, and I just find that a lot more interesting. And I, th- that's kind of what my two uh, latest novels have explored. And, and for you, Liz, I mean, you take us deep, deep, deep into some pretty twisted characters in all, all five of your books. And going back to Unraveling Oliver, I mean, that that was very much kind of a, a why done it kind of book, wasn't it? Uh, you know, there was a big prim- about the premises, why the hell has this happened to this seemingly normal person? Yeah, I. the thing is, I honestly, I did not know that I had written a crime novel, never mind a psychological thriller, until I, at the Irish Book Awards, I was awarded crime novel of the year. And I, I really felt... Oh my God! The the other crime novelists are going to be so mad at me because I had like I I haven't written a crime novel and they're going to be really annoyed because I just didn't see it as a crime novel and I I wasn't that familiar with crime as a genre I hadn't heard the term psychological thriller uh, I think that only became a, a real kind of subgenre maybe a year year or two later when Gone Girl and Girl on the Train came out. But um, yeah, when I, I just wrote the book that I, I wrote the story that was in my head. Um, and I really, I, I, it just hadn't crossed my mind that it was a crime novel, although loads of people die. <laughs> and um, um, in kind of, well, in nobody's kind of, there is no sort of intention to murder, but a lot of people die or end up in comas or, you know, because of the actions of one man, and um, yeah, it 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 uh, I just hadn't occurred to me. And it was only when I went to write my second novel, and I handed it in. I handed in the first draft of my second novel, and my editor said, um, "Sorry, where where's the where's the murder?" And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, you're a crime writer now," <laughs> <laughs> and I I was 
kind of aghast that and she said no like this this is your mo now like you've won crime novel of the year you can't switch genre now like when you've hit the ground running you can't switch switch genre so I had to go back and put a murder in it and make it all dark and sinister and I'd written a sort of a comedy uh, novel Liz were you so okay now, with that sorry were you okay with kind of turning I, it into a crime kind novel? Of, yeah, I kind of was because it was it was certainly sinister, but it was much funnier than it ended up being. I had to take out a lot of the humor and make it more dark and more sinister. I mean, there was there was like a, a, a very um, a damaged mother character in it, but I had made it funny, and my editor was like, "No, no," They're like, and she also said, "I want to hear." her point of view because she wasn't one of the main narrators um in the first draft and then she became when I started working on it she became the main character mm -hmm. and you know my editor was absolutely right um and I just trust my editor because she's been in the business longer than I have <laughs> she knows about stuff about books and I knew nothing so I just took my lead from her so yeah. I rewrote it but it was about a 70 or 80 percent rewrite of the oh, entire book to get it yeah and I had to do that in about three months so yeah god that was that was a really tense time in my life but you know after that I've never strayed I, I'm staying in my lane it's working so I'm not um I'm, I'm, I'm yeah I'm killing people and maiming people and psychologically <laughs> damaging them as much as I can <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting what you say about in effect being an accidental crime writer in a way Liz and I've had several New Zealand and other authors I've interviewed talk to me about that so I think it's it's really interesting how readers authors booksellers publishers festival directors think of crime fiction in quotes and it's different for different people and over the 15 or so years I've been like a reviewer and involved in various ways with awards and events and festivals it's been really eye-opening to see how that's taken and and because I think a lot of people sometimes still think of crime fiction as the Agatha Christie or Nio Marsh kind of crosswordy puzzle English village mysteries and or the Dashiell Hammett um, and Raymond Chandler kind of Mean Streets Private Eye novels and, and then, you know, going into more modern things of, of the kind of police procedurals that we see. And they think that, you know, they think detective fiction is crime fiction, effectively. When crime fiction, to me and, and to many others, I think, is, is much broader than that. It's the ex exploration of crime through novels, which can be detective fiction, it can be domestic, it can be psychological thrillers, it can be the impact of crime, not just the solving of crime on communities and individuals. And, and that's where books such as all of yours and your first one, Unraveling Oliver, I mean, Liz, I mean, it's a tremendous novel about a a guy who seemingly out of nowhere beats his wife into a coma and then there's all sorts of dark stuff going on. So there's definitely plenty of crime in the novel, whether it's seen as not necessarily detective fiction as such. But it's um, but it got me thinking when you mentioned Gone Girl and Girl on a Train, because we've definitely seen a kind of public perspective boom in what we might call domestic noir or um or psychological thrillers in the last kind of five to eight years and that's during the time that all of you have kind of come into writing as well give or take a year um but it is curious because when you look back through the history of crime writing like linwood barclay was a huge bestseller in the uk 10 plus years ago 
um, with what we called suburban noir at the time, everyday people caught up in big events. And going back a lot, and Harlan Coben was a bit the same with his non-Myron Bolitar novels. And then we go back further, you've got the likes of Patricia Highsmith. I mean, what is she if not psychological thrillers, you know, kind of thing. And, and so, Daphne de as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly, Rebecca and stuff. So it's not like this stuff hasn't been around before. It just seems yeah. to go through cycles of popularity or notoriety so to speak and sometimes people are like oh this is a big thing it's like yeah but it's it, you know there's there's roots there's roots back in the history of crime fiction Patricia Highsmith and that but I mean for you guys what's it what's it like to be kind of developing in in this area and following in the footsteps of someone like Patricia Highsmith or Daphne du Maurier <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a big question out of nowhere. Kelly, do you want to give us a, a perspective? Because <laughs> I have to start. I have to start it, right? Um, I mean, I I try not to compare myself to anybody else. You know, yeah. I think I think the advantage for me is that I've come into psychological thrillers more more recently. You know, right. I, I kind of grew up like Nikki, where I was just like I was reading a lot of detective fiction. Um, like I would, I was like a teenager in the '90s, grew up in the eight, like so, like Sue Grafton and like Walter Mosley and um, Sarah Paretsky. Uh, so I grew up with that, you know, um, more traditional detective fiction, you know. So I think that probably helps. If not trying to, I tried to think of it in like the bigger scheme of things, um, mm. you know, and just trying to kind of, you know, I find a difference, you know, and I do think it's tricky now though, because it's the market is so saturated, right. Mm -hmm. With um, psychological thrillers. And I think like every book is like a twist you'll never see coming, you know? And it's like, (laughs) and I feel like, especially like as a, it's kind of similar, like to Nikki said, like, as, cause I read a lot of books, like I can usually like, I can figure out the killer pretty quickly just because like there's certain, there's just certain things you can do, you know? And I think it's, it's hard because it's very hard to have a unique book now because the, the market has so many people. And I think it's great that, that there are so many, but it, it, it's, it's a trick. It's a tricky time too. It's good and bad, right. As a writer. So, yeah. But for, for Liz and Nikki, just following on from what Kelly said there, do you think you need to have a completely unique book? Because when we talk about art in general, I think of things like music. As you know, if there's a band you like, you kind of want the new album to be not the same as the old album, but you don't want it to be so different that it's not the band you love either. So you're trying to strike that balance. And, and, and like you, you kind of said, staying in your lane now, Liz. But, you know, you, you want to be exploring and creative, but somewhat connected to your past work and things like that or the past work around you so for for all of you just following on from what kelly said there you know how do you be unique and original but kind of within you know the tropes or some of the expectations of yourself and the readers i um oh sorry liz no go ahead i i um so when i wrote to the sea that was my first psychological thriller and i did that without a book deal and it was all very um free and easy it wasn't easy but um I didn't have any of that pressure of um of a a time crunch or anything from publishers so I wrote that as I wanted to and got a a two-book deal from it uh and then I realized crap I need to write another book and didn't have an idea (laughs) but when I um when I started writing In Her Blood I kind of thought you know you get excited about your idea and I kind of thought um it felt for me it felt fresh and then as I started writing I was like oh this is really similar to To the Sea it had um it was that family kind of dynamic 
again and it was um, that kind of claustrophobic um, insular community and I said to my publisher when she asked me how it was going um, I said good but I think I'm kind of writing the same book again um, and I wasn't but it, it just felt like it and she said it's okay it's what people want so um, I kind of went with that and it, it's different but the same if you get what I mean so mm. yeah it is that kind of stay in your lane kind of thing for me but it's always gonna it's always gonna be different, I think. As as soon as you um, start making up characters and things like that, you start drifting away from your previous novels. And is that the same for you, Liz? I mean, you've got five psychological thrillers now, and, yeah. and they they all have messed up families in some ways. So there's some links, but at the well, same time, they're all very different in terms of the stories. So they are. I mean, there there is a common thread going through the first four in that all of the protagonists are really horrible people. The main characters are really horrible people. And it's a first person narrative. So they're telling the story, whether they're murderers or sociopaths or psychopaths or, you know, whatever they are, they're telling the story from their point of view. So you're in the mind of, you know, that character. But you're, I also tell the story of the, of the victim and like through her or his eyes or you know the surviving family so that we see the consequences we see how the consequences play out for the survivors but um uh so that's been kind of my brand you know that people would know me for oh my god like in fact there was some twitter hashtag a good few years ago and it was kind of new irish blessings hashtag new irish blessings and somebody (laughs) Somebody suggested one would be, may you never be a character in a Liz Nugent novel. <laughs> That's an Irish gold. Let's go. But um, I've kind of taken a departure now with, with this new one that's coming next year because I think Sally Diamond in Strange Sally Diamond is a really likable character, even though she's quite damaged and she can be a little violent at times. And she... Um, her behavior at times is very disturbing, but you will find out why when you read the book. But I think the reader will absolutely want to go on that journey with her because none of it is her fault. Um, and I can't say any more than that without mm-hmm. ruining it. Yeah. Well, I remember the very first book of yours I, I read a few years ago, Liz, was Skin Deep, which had the protagonist Cordelia. And she's frankly a god-awful human being, you know, kind of thing. And I think Thank I was just you. trying to, you know, <laughs> the, the, I, but I was thinking I was like trying to, trying to think. So I've actually just checked what I actually said in one of the reviews I wrote of the book. I, th- I think I said, Cordelia is vain, self-absorbed, narcissistic, narcissistic, even cruel, but her journey is a truly fascinating one I felt compelled to follow from beginning to end, you know, kind of thing. And Liz Nugent's a hell of a writer. It's part of the review I wrote. But the the, the fact, it is kind of that... um, the Americans uh, I mean, didn't publish that one, by the way. Oh, didn't they? Okay. No, so, they said no. it was too dark. They said it was she was too, dark. too she, she, she is pretty nasty, to be honest. So. Um, but no, it is interesting. Yeah, the different kind of publishing sensibilities in different countries as well. But we do we are attracted to those kind of villainous characters sometimes. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the different roles from Shakespeare or Greek tragedy that actors most famously wanted to play are often the villains. Or, you, you know, you think of a TV show like Sopranos, there's been lots in the news about them even in recent years 
reflecting on, you know, different timelines and anniversaries and golden ages of TV. You know, Tony Soprano is not exactly a great human being in many ways, but we're fascinated and compelled to follow his journey, even though he does some pretty awful things. But we, and for you three writing psychological thrillers, where often, whether it's the protagonist or a villain or an offsiding character, you do have these kind of not so nice characters that people are having to deal with. It's not the clear bad and good of hero and villain sometimes. It's kind of murkier in psychological thrillers. How much fun is it to write those characters and how do you try and balance them so it is not just black and white, good and evil? So. Nikki, do you want to tell yeah. us a, a little bit? I mean, you've got some interesting characters with the, the Gilmores and the hotel, the owners of yeah. the hotel, his daughter and slash sister went years before and and even the main characters um with jack and her sister charlie we don't necessarily know where to stand with them either at times yeah i think um so in in her blood um probably i'll talk about iris gilmore so she's the matriarch so she pops up in both both the past and the present timelines and she's very different so um i think someone wrote in an early review she's the most hideous character they've ever come across in a book and i was like yes exactly that's what i wanted um but she in the past scenes uh she's in her 50s and she's got two teenage daughters and in the present scenes she's uh in her late 70s and um she's unwell and i think um when I was doing my edits, my editor said, um, I'm so confused by Iris. And she said that that's a good thing. And she just didn't know whether to feel sorry for her. Um, and that's when she's this elderly woman in her seventies, or when you go into the past scenes, like she's, she's a horrific mother really, uh, to one of her daughters. Um, so I think, um, in doing that, I think when the person's reading in her blood, and they're going back and forward and seeing who Iris was and who she is now. I think um, there's that that difficulty with the reader thinking, am I supposed to feel sorry for her? Or and and as well as um, Iris's backstory, she didn't come from a very happy home. And I and I quite like the idea of the reader being confused, not in a bad way, but just trying to sort out um, if they should like this character or feel any kind of sympathy towards them. I think that's the best kind of story because you have to you have to give the reader something to work with you know what I mean you have to leave room for their imagination as well yeah yeah so those, and and, and people might think yeah and people might think um people have different opinions of Iris I mean this reviewer absolutely hated her um but I have a little bit of a soft spot for her I mean she is terrible but um and I think it was when I turned her into an elderly woman that automatically brings a bit of sympathy but yeah yeah, and she's an elderly woman who's lost her favourite daughter, and she was awful in terms of treating the sisters differently. But yeah. there, there is reason for sympathy, plus her past before that, as you yeah. learn. Yeah, you about. just need that little bit, that little bit of yeah doubt almost. Or was it? Yeah, it's kind of like the save the cat thing they say in screenwriting. You know, kind of thing. You yeah. give them. They usually give the hero that moment so that the audience is on side. But you can give yeah. the villain a moment or yeah. two like that, which Definitely. may confuse. Um, and, and Kelly, I mean, you've been a screenwriter yourself. You wrote for Cold Case, and you worked in Hollywood before you kind of started writing novels. So. For you, how have you found that kind of balancing characters? Because characters are very central to all your books as well. But in terms of, you know, kind of good but not too good and bad but not too bad and giving us those shades of grey. I mean, I think for me, like, we're well, like, I just try to make them human. Like, even for mm. me, as amazing as I am, there are people who probably hate my guts, right? Like, but like this, <laughs> and but the people who love me too. And like, 
it's just because of their reaction to me, right? Not necessarily because I'm doing something different, I guess. Um, so I try to just do like well-rounded characters and I don't, I, I don't write quote unquote villains. Like I try not mm. to, I think um, the, in like a sister, the most outright villain in my character, Lena's life is her dad, who she feels mm. like he, he's like this hip hop mogul that she feels like when he left her mom, for her sister's mother, he also abandoned her. And now that she's older and does not need him anymore, he's back in her life, you know? But because the book's from the POV of Lena, he's the villain. But if he if it was his point of view, it wouldn't be. He thinks he was a good dad because he was there for them and he provided for her financially, even if he was not there as a father physically, right? So for him as a Black man in America, he's giving his daughters whatever they want, like whatever they want for Christmas. They want some random, you know, dream house. He's going to get that from them. And so th- and I think that's also a kind of like the subplot of the book is, is that family dynamic. And so that's what I try to do is I try to kind of look at each person as an individual person and hopefully the bad, even the villains have some good things about them, you know, like they're, they're, they're there for the family when they need to be, or they're, they're good friends, or they're this and that, you know? And even on the flip side with Lena, I kind of love that even though she's not a unreliable narr- narrator, she still can be very petty. Like my favorite line for me in the book is she's mad at her stepmother. So she goes, I put the cup down next to the, the coaster. Like things like that, like little small petty things like that, where you're like, oh, she's just doing it to be an a-hole, right? Yeah. But hopefully at the time you understand why she's acting like that, so. Yeah, this is an Australian podcast. You can say asshole if you want. And Liz, what was it like for you with Strange Sally Dom? Because you, you mentioned earlier that your first four books, pretty much the point of view character and you're, you're deep diving the reader into the mind of a pretty twisted individual, whether we want to call them villains or not, they're, they're all kind of damaged or twisted. And then with Strange Sally Diamond, probably your most, not heroic, but you know what I mean, on the spectrum of the character, the central characters you've created, she would be kind of the, the more positive Most one maybe for, yeah. yeah sympathetic that's a better word but yeah so what was that like for you kind of because I know we've talked before is that you since you were a kid you're like my daughter but she loves the villain she loves the witches and she loves all of yeah. that from when she was little and you were like that yourself so what was it like for you kind of exploring that with Sally Diamond yeah totally when I was a kid I you know when everybody else wanted to be the princess in the school play I wanted to be the wicked stepmother or the witch or something so yeah so stepping into Sally Diamond's shoes was interesting because well it's not a spoiler to say that she incinerates her father in the first chapter after he's dead um <laughs> but it's a, it's it's just a misunderstanding she she you know it's what he said when i die put me out with the bins and and so that's what she does because she she understands the world differently too uh I hate to say the word normal people, but she she sees the world a little differently. And, she, you know, her father has, uh, is, is a psychiatrist and a very eminent psychiatrist. And he has studied her his whole life and has never been able to come up with a diagnosis because her behavior is so inconsistent. And um, we find out as the book goes on that it's the result of trauma and the very worst kind of trauma. And so... The evil character in Strange Sally Diamond is so awful. I mean, so unbelievably awful that I didn't want to step into his shoes. 
I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to invade that head for a second. So I wrote him from the outside. So you see him from the point of view of two different characters. Um, you, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't go there. <laughs> some characters, like there are some crimes that are worse than murder. And um, there is actually isn't a murder in the book. Um, there are three sort of deaths that shouldn't have happened. But um, yeah, there are some crimes worse than murder. So that's what Strange Sally Diamond uh, sort of investigates. That's an interesting... God, it's got very heavy, hasn't it? No, 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 but it's an, <laughs> it's an interesting point. Um, I kind of had a couple of ideas in my head what we could talk about, because you mentioned earlier, Liz, about having to take some of the humour out of one of your earlier books from your editor. Yeah. And and I was going to say, well, it's interesting because one of the things I love about Like a Sister is it's such a funny domestic thriller as well. And Kelly has this kind of sarcastic, hilarious character the whole way through while still having that creepy sense of unease, mystery, suspense of a domestic thriller. So you kind of, you can balance that humour sometimes as well. And and Kelly, for you, how important is that to kind of balance the the dark and the light the humor and the crime so to speak i mean i think i think every 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 book or movie can have humor in it like even like the horror like the scariest horror movie you want to have that humor to kind of because you can't always be up here emotionally right you have to have, mm. to have kind of it's better if it ebbs and flows and so the humor can kind of break the tension a little bit um but with like a sister i did not intend to write a funny book um my first two books are really funny in my opinion um but <laughs> I did not intend to. And then I had a friend who was reading an early draft and she's like, oh, I was cracking up like on the subway. And I was like, no, like that's not like I'm writing a serious book. But I just kind of realized like my attitude, um, especially as like a black woman in America is better to laugh than cry. And so that's Lena's attitude as well, you know? And so the humor is just in her outlook on life and how she, how she kind of views things, you know? And, um, it doesn't affect what's happening to her, but just kind of how her, how she reacts to it, at least internally. So, because mm. I, I was wondering as well, following on from like what Liz was saying about not wanting to go into the head of that particularly dark character in a new upcoming book, is like as writers, you you're spending months or and even longer at times, many many months, even years soaking into some pretty dark acts sometimes whether it's a crime novel that has humor or not there's often dark acts within it so how do you look after yourself while you're doing that you know the rest of your life and uh, away from the, the the screen or the keyboard or the page or however you write and and so I was wondering that like humor in the novels themselves but also kind of entwined with that like how do you look after yourself as a person when you're exploring these dark issues is it a matter of like oh i get them out on the page i'm good in the rest of my life or sometimes you have to have something to kind of break it for you because you've been delving into crimes like murder or things that are worse than murder nikki how I, do you i'm look curious about this yeah i'm curious because i don't write really dark stuff because i don't want to mm. be stuck in that space i'm curious to how, see how you guys handle it um, so to the sea my previous novel that was dark there was no light anywhere <laughs> in that book um and I think it was because of um the setting and that really kind of claustrophobic and insular setting that I put it into um and in her blood I wouldn't say it's as dark but the book I'm writing now 
um, it's kind of a small town crime mystery. Um, I have enjoyed that little bit of lightness that my other two books probably haven't had. And um, one of the points of view of this new book um, is uh, an 18-year-old girl. And she's just finishing up her last year of high school and she has a couple of good mates and they hang out together. And just those little, you know, conversations and getting drunk together and, you know, going to the lake together, that has provided a lightness that has actually been really nice to write because I feel, I think all my other books have been quite dark. And I think I remember writing my second book, No One Can Hear You, and it was probably the first and I think only time where I questioned um, why am I doing this as in writing such dark, dark stuff? Um, but now I think uh, it's what I do. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to start writing romance novels or anything. Um, and I and I think the more I do it, the easier it is to kind of turn off now. I mean, I've got um, two girls, 13 and 15. And when I step out of my office, um, I do kind of need to rid myself of of that darkness I've created um, and having them in my life, it's it's pretty easy to to flip back and and um, walk into real life. Mm. I mean, to the sea, it is lots of dark events and things that happen there. Yeah. It didn't feel overly bleak to me though, as a book, okay. because because and I and and I was thinking, I'm just trying to think about this now. When you say, like you say, it's not like massive amounts of humor or anything, but no. I think the the beauty of the coastal setting. Perhaps it's set in this hmm. beautiful kind of coastal New Zealand area and it's right on the beach and all of this. And and so almost that the beauty of the setting is almost the lightener for the darkness yeah, of the right. events, if that makes yeah. sense, which yeah. is a different way to kind of balance out some of the stuff. That's um, true. Because yeah, it didn't it didn't feel like it's bleak dystopian book to me okay. or anything like yeah. that. When I, so. It's probably yeah, it's probably the darkest thing I've done. And can mm. I just say, Liz, um, Skin Deep was a bit of an inspiration for um for To the Sea. Just your um, it's one of my favourite books, and it was just um the that that um island setting that you that you gave um Skin Deep. It's not all the way through the book, but um, it's always stayed with me. So yeah, <laughs> just a little Thank fangirl you. moment there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, God. I'm gonna have to get my hands on yours as soon as I can. You know, Craig, can you bring some back in the in the in your yeah. suitcase? Yeah, I can. I, I can do that. <laughs> That's not a problem when I head back to uh, back north. And, and Liz, for yourself, because like as you, you say, you delve into some pretty dark characters. So how how do you manage to step away? Not necessarily in the book itself to balance it out, but just in life in general. Is it easy for you to switch on and off as a creator, or do you have to do something? The funny thing, just talking, getting back to the humor thing. Our little cruelties had a lot of humor. Yeah, in it. that like one. There, were, there, there were some characters that were just outright like, and some of the situations they found themselves in were just outrageous. And it was great to have some fun with them. But you know, they were serious for the characters, but from the outside, it it looked funny. And strange, Sally Diamond, because this um, villain is so dark. I don't ever go into the room you know, where the dark stuff happens. Like we, we we hear about stuff he might have done, but we never get any confirmation that, that you know, stuff has happened. We just, you know, so we have psychiatrist reports. So you kind of get, you get the, the news third hand about what might have happened. So I don't go there. And I think, you know, as dark as the book is, a lot of people who have read it said that you know they laughed on one page and cried on the next because mm. it is it is um more moving, I think, as a novel 
than any of the others. And I think, but it's also, there's a lot more humor in it than any of the other books as well. So I managed to, um, I think, write the most disturbing novel I've written and also the funniest novel I've written in the same novel. It's <laughs> um, a wonderful yeah, mix. I don't know, I don't know how that's gonna work for readers when it actually gets out there because, you know, um, I know like there's a lot of buzz about it, but I I never trust buzz. Yeah. <laughs> you can't trust buzz. No. Um, yeah. Just gotta wait and see. So I don't know. But I uh getting away from it is easy for me. I just I close the laptop and I walk away and I don't think about the characters at all. Don't give them a second thought. Go down and watch an episode of Shits Creek or you know, whatever, whatever is light and, you know, goggle box or something, you know. Something. So, Liz, sorry, even when you're, so you close the laptop and walk away and do you not, are they not with you? And Kelly, no. are they, like, mine are always with me. Is that just no. me? <laughs> yeah, I often can't stop thinking about them. What about you, I Kelly? Mean, I mean, sometimes they can, but... um like no, I'm like that person. Like oh, my author, like my character spoke to me, and you know, oh, I, yeah, I don't like that. Like either. I'm not, I'm like not that person at all. I'm like they do what I say. I'm the boss. I'm um, just always thinking. I'm always thinking about the book. Yeah. I mean, some I, I tend to actually think better if, when I'm not thinking, like if I'm driving or you know, in yeah, the shower or something. Mm. But like, um, I'm not. I I try, I try to because I think also I have a day job, you know, and I think I try to like segment, yeah, my life a bit. Um. But they, I do think about things when I'm not at the computer. Um, but it's not like all the time. Mm. It's I feel my best stuff it. comes when I'm away from the computer. Yeah. I think uh, a so back brain's working. Say, you, you do your best writing when you're not actually writing. Exactly. Exactly. Because the ideas can come at any time. Like I just usually just kind of type a note into my phone. Yeah, that's if, what I do. Oh yeah, similar. Yeah, I've done that. And like, we'll be like taking a walk, and I'm trying to type this yeah. on my my notes up because I, I also forget things. I forget things so quick too that I'll yeah. never remember. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a brilliant line, and then I'll never remember it again. So Always write it down. <laughs> yeah, it's the curse of the writer. Everyone used to say the the journal beside your bed, even not as a novelist myself, but even as like generating ideas for articles or little lines for articles from interviews I find that as well like you know you're out for a walk by the river or something and you want to like oh yeah notes app you know kind of things I won't remember this in an hour when I get home even though I think I've got a decent memory but I still forget that kind of stuff so it is that well it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to the three I could happily sit here for another two or three hours chatting but we will have to wrap up sometime soon and so I, I was just thinking, one of the things we love to do with uh, Words and Nerds and Kiwi Craig's World of Crime is to showcase great authors around the world. And we've done that in this episode. But also beyond the authors that we have on, we like to, you know, throw a little shout out to some other crime writers that we enjoy, because often crime writers are readers as well. We ever like to read. Um, perhaps if you want to each give us two or three books you've enjoyed, um, you know, in the in the past few months or year or two, I, I, I know sometimes when you're writing, you don't get a chance to read, but go back as far as you need to. Just, you know, two or three books that you've really enjoyed and you recommend the listeners give a go when they're going along to buy and pre-order your books. Who else should they get at the same time? Um, I can start. So I think um, one of my favorite new authors is Yasmin Anko. Her first book was Her Name is Night. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's it's a kind of a, this woman who's a, a Black woman um, 
who's in Miami now, but she grew up in, um, in Africa and like in a very dark, like, you know, she was basically, you know, um, sexually trafficked and she's now kind of has her power and she's works for this kind of mysterious organization. Um, and she's a, an assassin, a paid assassin. And it's just like a, it's not a book I see a lot, especially with black women or even just women. And it's just great because it's the same thing where like one chapter, cause it's a flashback, I'm crying at her past. And the next chapter I'm, I'm cheering for her cause she's kind of coming into her power. But at the same time, she's very human because she's got like trying to deal with that trauma and how that affects her family relationships, how it affects her personal life. Um, and so it's a three book series. The first one's her name is night. Um, definitely pick that up. The second one just came out. They come at night in November. Um, it's a Thomas and Mercer book. So it should be available in the, all over. Um, I also enjoyed Alex Segura's Secret Identity, which came out yeah. earlier this year. Um, it's like a 1970s set noir novel um, about this woman, this Latina in the U.S. who um, wants to be a comic book author. And this is kind of like dirty New York 70s, like not even before comics were like cool again. And like no one wanted to work in comics. And it's just like a really good character study and a, a murder mystery. So those are two authors I suggest. Yeah, I, I love the way that crime fiction is so broad now that we we're getting such a huge range of authors coming through, whether it's indigenous authors and writers of color, and, but also just from different countries, like Nikki and Liz being from New Zealand and Ireland. When I was growing up reading crime, I would say 80, 90 percent of what we could find at the library or the bookshops was um, American and and when I say British, I really mean English. It was American and English, and most of them were white guys, you know, kind of thing as well. So it is wonderful. We're getting so many different voices and so many different stories. And I love how crime can take us into so many different places with those two books you mentioned, the setting, the comic book setting of Alex is fantastic. Nikki, a couple of books you've read recently um, that you like? At the start of the year, and this one's always stayed with me, I read... Um, the Last Thing to Burn by Will Dean. Um, oh, I, yeah. think it's, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was out maybe a couple of years ago now, but it was so mm. good. It's quite a short book, but mm. um, I don't think I've ever read the last 40 pages of a book so quickly. It was very, mm. very good. Um, I've just finished The Doctor's Wife by Fiona Sussman, and she's a mm. Kiwi author. Uh, it's a psychological thriller set in Auckland and is about two couples um one of them's a doctor and his wife and the other couple um his wife is going through she gets diagnosed with a brain tumor uh and a little bit hard not to give spoilers but um someone in that in that foursome dies um and it's told through many points of view uh many different people a real whodunit but um a lot more than that Fiona's very good at, at characters I think you've read it um Craig yeah, really. Enjoyed yeah, it. I, I actually haven't read it yet. I've had oh, a look. I I have, yeah. no, I've got I've got a copy of it. I haven't read yeah. it yet because yeah, you know, things things going on in recent mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. Um. So I, I have that to perhaps read on the plane on the way yeah. back. Yeah. Very <laughs> you good. Know, kind of thing. So, and um. Yeah. And there was one more. Um. And I think Liz, you mentioned it on Twitter, and it sounded really good. And it was Hawk Mountain by um Connor yeah. Habib. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think he's American. I don't really know anything about him, but um. Hawk Mountain is about um, it's told it's told through a guy and um, this flashback backs to his high school years where he was bullied by this guy Jack um, 
and then Jack all of a sudden comes into his life when he's in his 30s and he's a single dad and he's got this little boy he's looking after. Um, Such an intense read and and highly recommend it. Um, And just at the moment, one more, I've just started um, Vanda Simon's new book, Expectant, um, and that's the fourth, I think, in her Sam Shepard series, um, but not out till February next year, I think. But I'm loving that. That's not that far away, honestly. It's only like yeah. two months. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Liz, have you uh, got to do much reading this year? Or? I I have, yeah. And I, I also read Fiona Sussman's Good Doctor, and I oh. thought it was terrific. And uh, I'll back, up you, back you up on Connor Habib, who, is, who lives in Ireland, oh, but, okay. is, uh, but is American Lebanese. Oh. And uh, yeah. And yeah, it's a really, you know, I had to read some, some, because despite what I write, I, you know, I don't write gore and he has so many scenes of dissecting a human yeah, body. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah. And it's also kind of homoerotic kind yeah. of stuff. See, the, the worship of the male body is, is quite strong, uh, but I would highly recommend it. It's brilliantly written. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a literary crime novel. But the one I wanted to talk about most, I think, was a book called Dirty Laundry by Disha Bose. That's mm-hmm. D-I-S-H-A. And the last name is B-O-S-E. And she is an Asian author who has lived in Ireland, I think, for the last 20 years. So she's written this book about an Asian um, family who move into an all-white neighborhood, which, you know, would happen in Ireland because, you know, we haven't got, well, it is becoming more diverse, but, you know, it would still be probably 90% white. But luckily now we're getting a little more color into our bloodstreams and uh, things are looking up. So it's about this Asian family and how they come into a, a neighborhood and who accepts them and who doesn't. And uh, I think it's going to be huge. I just have this feeling about it. Um, it's called Dirty Laundry. I, I'm not sure when it's coming out. I think maybe April in the States or and uh, maybe around, because I think it got a global deal. I, I think it got a very big deal. And I think they're going to put a big push behind it. But yeah, that's the one I'm, I'm most excited for for next year. My friend just mentioned that she's also blurbing it. So she just told me oh, about really? that. So now that I have two, two, I have to definitely pick that one up. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. There's some good books. On a copy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some great books mentioned there. And as I say, you definitely want to head along to your favorite local library or your favorite local bookseller or head online and, and grab some of these wonderful books from Kelly, Nikki and Liz, both their new and upcoming ones and their backlist. And yeah, grab a few of those others as well. There's lots of great crime fiction coming out there from some really extraordinary voices from all around the world. This has been Kiwi Craig's World of Crime for the Words and Nerds podcast. Thank you so much, Kiora Rawa Artu, to Kelly Garrett, Nikki Crutchley and Liz. Thank you, Craig, for a wonderful conversation. Wonderful. Thank you.